Blog Talk Radio. This is Susan Swanbeck, CEO of the ATU Network. This work is protected by Creative Commons licensing. For the next two fun-filled hours, get ready to learn something new, be inspired, enlightened, spooked, helped, laugh, cry, and be awakened. And now, your host of Awakening the Unknown. You never know what these two will be up to next. So please welcome Susan Swanbeck. And Michelle Sullivan. We have a very intense show for you today. Very, very intense show. This is a very serious topic, and there's a lot of things you guys do not know about me. So during this conversation tonight, um, we are pulling on Lisa um, Elinsky. And Melissa Dunford. Yes. So they will be coming on, and we're going to be talking about her magazine, which she had up, and she uh, had co-wrote with Justin Derrish. It's called Dope with No Hope. Um, This is a really bad epidemic, um, and we are going to really get into a lot of details about a lot of things about this. So uh, without further ado, please welcome Lisa Alinsky which I'm pulling on now, and Melissa. Lisa, Melissa, are you guys there? I am. All right. Hello, ladies. Hello. Hopefully you guys have been practicing your social distancing while you guys have been uh, <laughs> at it these days, ladies. <laughs> yes. Oh, my. So, Lisa, just say hi and introduce yourself to everybody. Hello, everyone, um, and also I'd like to thank you, ATU Network, You're welcome. and uh, I appreciate you bringing me on. Oh, no problem, honey. Our pleasure. I mean, we think this subject very, very serious. Yeah, both of us actually do take this entire subject. Yeah, uh, you're echoing. The show is echoing in the background for someone. M- Michelle, is that you? Uh, doesn't seem to be. Oh. Is that me? I don't know. All right, so we're going to just keep going, guys. Uh, Michelle's here. She's back. We're, we're practicing our social distancing. But um, I wanted to start off with, with talking to you about what your inspiration is behind the magazine that you put together. Okay. Tell us about the whole heroin epidemic. Can you hear me okay? Yes, I can hear you fine. Okay, um, well, the story behind it may seem really odd for many. Um, you know, I'm a believer. I believe in God. You know, um, I read the Bible a great deal. And uh, I was sitting on the couch watching the news, and a story came up where we lost another person from an overdose. And I yelled out, And I said, God, not another one. And it was like within seconds, God placed it on my heart. You will write a magazine about heroin, about this. 
And I remember I yelled out, and I said, God, I don't know anything about this drug. I know nothing. And God put right there on my heart, he said, I will provide you everyone and everything. And you know what, Susan? He did. Wow. He did. I met my co-author when I went to go get my hair colored. I was telling the salon owner about the magazine, and this man turns around. He was waiting for his wife to get her hair done. He turns around, he looks up at me, and he says, I can help you. I'm a drug counselor. And I almost buckled. buckled. And then um, turns out I pray over missing persons, and I help with homicide cases. I pray. That's all I do. I pray. Okay? Wow. I ask for nothing. I ask for nothing. I just pray. So I've talked to Sarah Weck many, many, Dr. Weck many, many, many times about cases. And I thought, well, why not call him and see if he'll provide a statement? Susan, as soon as I got a hold of him, he says, no problem. I'll write you a statement. Wow. I mean, he's world-renowned. He's busy. He's he's very famous. And I thought, wow, okay, I'm glad I listened. (laughs) You know, and it's just one thing after another, Susan, and everything was just placed right in my path. And, and, And as I walked this path doing this magazine, and the Lord also put it on my heart that I'm not to take any money, that I'm to give. I'm like, okay, who do I give to? And I, and I prayed about it. And the drug counselor told me that he's a drug counselor for Adult and Teen Challenge. And they're in wow. need of money. And I thought, okay. <laughs> so I'm like, this is amazing. And then my mom wow. calls my mom calls me, Susan, and she says, Lisa, it's going to cost, you know, it's going to cost money to publish that magazine. She says, you know what? I'm going to call your publisher. I have my credit card, and I'm paying for everything. Wow. How, I, I can't, I can't, I'm speechless because it was like, you don't understand the spiritual, like, part of it. It was so strong, Susan. I just want to cry right now because it's just so spiritual it was like, what if I didn't believe in God? What if, when he spoke to my heart, what if I didn't listen and follow through? You know what I mean? Do you realize, because I met these parents for the magazine, do you know, realize, Susan, how many people were going to kill themselves? How many parents were ready to take their life? And they came to me, and I prayed for them, and I said, are you willing to put your child's story in my magazine? And they said, yes. Lisa, you just brought us hope. And all of a sudden, it's so special because it goes beyond. It just goes beyond the magazine itself. This is about helping people. It's not about making money. Yeah, the money goes to a local rehab, but it's just the spiritual aspect behind it and how everything moved, you know. And then... Yeah, I've held speak-outs, okay? I, I've held speak-outs at restaurants and whatnot, but I never did radio. Well, here comes Chris Garcia, and here comes Kathy Graves. And they said, Lisa, you, Lisa, you know, Kathy Graves and Chris Garcia said, you have to do radio. You have to get out of the closet. So here's Kathy and Chris. They're kicking me out of the closet, and now I'm on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> 
It with me and this there's a lot of my background that people don't know about me. Um, they know that I'm a widow. They do know that much because they started the radio right. station after that. And they know that my reasons for starting the radio station is because I couldn't help my husband. So I had to try to help as many others as I could. But they still don't know why. So this will be a first for me. It will, it will be a large first opening up and doing what I'm doing to help you is going to be a healing experience for me as well. Your magazine has brought that to a, to a lot, a lot of people. And like you say, for people to come out and tell you their stories, um, that's like, that's a, like a, almost like a weight off their shoulders to be yeah. able to talk to. I mean, I know like back in the day I was, um, I was with somebody who was a severe drug addict, so I am familiar with being on the, the relationship end of being with somebody who was a drug addict, who was a heroin user as well. So I went to Al-Anon, and I understand the, the, the strength and the faith it is to be able to, to stand up and tell your story to somebody who understands, and the strength of the... Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. This is a gift that you gave to so many people, and it's a gift that you that's going to keep on giving. To be honest, this is wonderful, absolutely wonderful. But it's like, but I feel like it's not about. It's just, it's not me. It's not about me. It's about, it's everyone. You know, everyone. Mm-hmm. Like I just pulled everybody together. Now he's using you to bring this to light on the radio, and then beyond that, it may go even beyond that because somebody may hear <laughs> your, you know, the story tonight, or even Melissa. Because Melissa's on the recovery end more, you know, and I'm, I'm more of an advocate for parents that lost a child. And Melissa Dunford, the uh, admin for Faces of Opiates, she really pushes the recovery. And then I was able to meet her. So it's like, wow, you know, we are a what I call team circle, okay? And, and us as being a team circle, you know, we're coming together for the good of the people. We're not taking from people. We're giving to people. And that's what's important we have to remember because we're giving and not taking. And, and it's like a spider web. It's just reaching out, and it's amazing. You know, so I never make this about me. I make it about, you know, who pushed it, you know, which is God really pushed it, you know, to, for have, to have me do this. And he brought everybody together. So it's like a spiritual movement, if that makes sense. It so, does. Yeah, I it's not about me. It's everybody. We're, we're all together in this. We're, we all have our stories. Everybody... I don't care who you are, you have a story. You have a story in your back. And I'm willing to listen to that story, just like you're willing to listen to this story. And, and, and we're willing to listen to everybody that calls in and their story. And that's important, that we, that we have that listening ear. That's what we all need. You know, we need that shoulder to cry on. We need that listening ear, but we also need to help other people by speaking out. So it's really interesting how all this came together. And, again, I can't thank you enough, Ian's guys, ATU Network, or, or Dr. Wack or Melissa, everybody, every parent. It's, I want to cry because it's so, you know, it's so moving, so to speak. You know, it's, it's a good thing. I think, yeah, I think for me, um, because a lot of people, as far as they know, my husband died of cancer. Um, 
God, I hate doing this, and I have to do this. I know I do, because it's the only way I'll ever get out. You've opened the Band-Aid now, and it's time to touch. I loved my husband to death. My husband was a heroin addict. He was real bad. He cleaned up a bit. But at the end, before he left, he was back into it again. He figured he was going to die anyway, so why bother? And the reason that his liver was no good was because he was shooting up. And it was hard for me, and I know it was hard for a lot of uh, other people. And maybe one of you two can give me a perspective, because if you go through this, why wasn't I good enough for him to stop? And that's what it is. Why couldn't I get through to him? Why didn't he or she love me enough to stop? That's what goes through my head, the survivor. But I can't get into his head right now. I think, like, well, I can talk from the perspective. So I was a drug user, but that's not why I started the group. But I was, I was, I was into pills. I was, I loved pills. I loved morphine. It was my, my thing. So I stopped in 2015. I've been sober for a while, but it it becomes almost like, you know, you've been hungry before or like so thirsty, you can't stand it. It's like that. And nothing bombs it and nothing else matters. It really isn't a matter of choosing. It's, it's this primal need because we have opioid receptors in our body. So once you turn those on, your body wants that sensation filled at all costs. So it's hard to tell families, but it has nothing to do with you. Yeah. As horrible as that is. Do you know what I mean? Like it's hard to express that to people, but it, it's just all about filling that, that need that you physically have to have. I mean, I, I kind of understand that like my coffee addiction. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. I've tried to lighten the mood. It's what I do. <laughs> No, I mean, I think it's fair. I mean, any, you know, anyone dealt with any kind of addiction, whether it's cigarettes or alcohol, booze, yeah. food, coffee, whatever it is. I mean, but, you know, when, when you talk about heroin, it's, it's at a level that, or opioids, and I think it's because our body has that natural receptors to want opioids, right? Like that's, you know, that's how we can deal with pain. That's how we turn pain on and off. So I think it makes it even that much more challenging than any, any even other drugs. Yeah, with him, he was, um, and again, I just want to, so everybody else opens up. I'm going to be 100% straight for the first time in a long time. When I met him, he was, he was an addict. He was on a lot of methadone to try to come down and right. he was on too much because he was falling asleep everywhere. Um, but there was just something about him. I just, I don't know. He was a pain in my ass, but I loved him to death. And I, I still tell him that dude, you're a pain in my ass, but I still love you. You know, it is what it is, but <laughs> started coming down off the methadone and he was doing, he was doing really good. And then he had a particular issue with hepatitis, which is what caused his liver to go haywire. Um, So, and yeah, nobody in our family has it. We were always very careful because I was his caregiver. It's one of the things I've always done is be a caregiver. So I made sure everything was the way that it was. But um, I, when it got to the point where he started coming down too low, And this is why, this is the part that bothers me. I was trying to convince him not to come down too low, which is strange because I've never done it because I could see the pain. I could feel the pain he was in because I'm an empath. So I think what he did, and maybe psychologically, I'm finally giving myself the answer. I think because he was feeling the pain so bad, I think at the end, that's why he went back to it. 
He went to do to something to numb the pain he couldn't control anymore. Right, and then the drug oh, absolutely. Yeah. The drug too changes the brain chemistry, right, Melissa? It does. I mean, yeah, I mean, everything, you know, and, and yeah, and that's something else, you know, when you talk about why won't someone quit for me or why won't they quit for themselves, you're not dealing with a rational brain, right? Their brain's, it, it's sick, it's damaged at the time, right? They're not using our rational brain like we normally use. When we're using, we don't have that rationality. And, and they've shown that, but it's physical and, you know, and mental. I mean, it's, it's a combination of the two. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, right. it's and a you, really remove, you, you remove the addiction, you remove the attachment, and then when you do that, you become you again. You know, yeah. you become that person that can live again. You become that person that's not chasing the dragon. You, you know, you you have a means to want to live. A lot of these people suffering with addiction want to give up. You know, yeah. and, and it saddens me. And then, then you have a lot of people that are willing to go get help. But then what help do we have for for everybody? Do, do we have the right help? You know, we, we want to put, um, a, a lot of these programs want to put in place people in placement that are suffering. But, Melissa... Is it the right help? You know what I mean? The people that are we're losing, the people that are dying in our country, is it because they didn't get the right help provided by our government that should be there, that, you know, should be held accountable? Big Pharma, all these people should be. Absolutely. You see my point here? So do we no. lose our people because they didn't have the right help? You see what I'm saying? No, well, I I'll do. I'll be honest with you. I mean, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to talk over you guys. I'm sorry. Go, go, ahead, ahead. Honey, go ahead. That's what this is all about. Everybody's throwing ideas out. Go ahead. So what I was going to say, and I don't want to be unpopular here, but, you know, this COVID-19 pandemic, which is very serious and it can affect the world, and, and I don't make light of that. Look at the action and the swiftness that we've taken over just a few hundred deaths in the United States where we're losing anywhere from 70 to 100,000 people a year for opioid overdoses, and we're still begging the president to declare it a national emergency. So it can release more funds like FEMA and whatnot to get people into treatment, to get people to medical-assisted therapy. We, you know, in all those inroads that we've made, I am sure we've, we have to start again now because of this pandemic. Right. You know, all the, all, the, all the things that we were pushing through legislation and trying to make better for people in our country suffering from addiction has really taken a setback. And I think it's because people think you choose. You choose, so you shouldn't be helped. You choose, so you shouldn't, you know, you, 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 should, you don't have the grace of God anymore. Do you know what I mean? Like, they, they look at it as a choice, as, and, and I don't think that's a fair statement. You know, my best friend died, and why I started the group, she, was a, she worked for the state police for years. She was a dispatcher, and she died with a needle in her arm at work, and nobody came to her memorial because they were embarrassed. Drugs were tied to it, and we should never feel that way, right? You should never feel any shame in how you die or how your loved one dies. Yeah, you know so. what? Well, I, I attended a couple funerals. Um, do you know what it's like to be in a funeral home and have the mom walk in, and as soon as she sees her son in a casket, she breaks down. And I mean, I've seen it. She yeah. walked in the funeral home and she wrapped her arms around her child in his coffin, and it just buckles you. It just breaks your heart. It just makes you realize that, you know, once you attend a funeral. It's like it's more of a reality. It's like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe this young man's gone because of the drug that our country allows in, that, you know, mm-hmm. and it shouldn't be happening, and, and it's so devastating, you know. But go to a funeral, and then, you know, everything flips. It, it becomes more of a reality. 
It really does. They're all preventable. They're all preventable deaths. That's I think that's what makes it even harder, right? Like most people are dying from the synthetic fentanyl coming in from China. Um, that's what's killed most of our loved ones, and and it's we're allowing poison to be sold on the streets. Exactly. Right. Now here's here's something I want to bring up, and and Melissa and Susan and everybody, I want you to weigh in on this too. Is we have a pandemic, right? We agree. We have a pandemic. Yes. Right. Drug dealers. There's drug dealers out there just about on every corner today. They have hundreds of customers. How are we going to keep them safe? Because they're not going to stop drug dealing. Okay? We have people suffering with addiction that's going to go to that drug dealer. We're talking hundreds a day. And we're in a pandemic now, too. So how does someone suffering with addiction even think? Because the brain chemistry changes. So how does one that's suffering with addiction think to stay safe in that perspective. You see they what I'm don't. saying? Well, they're not yeah, going they to. I mean, the problem, yeah, they're not. And we're going to see, we are going to see more rogue chemists as this goes on, right? Because we can't get the fentanyl from China because imports are slowing down. So I would, I would predict that we're going to see new drugs hit the streets that people are making at home, and it's going to be even more risky, would be my. Yeah, it is. Yes. It is. The whole thing is going to become more and more dangerous because yep. they, they don't think. It's just about to to numb themselves. And everybody has a, a different story of how it started. And I mean, for right. my husband's case, it was different than a few other people that actually went to the place he went, well, uh, which I won't say. But like with him, he was abused from a child. So he started at a young right. age. There's doctors there. There's nurses there. There's always mm-hmm. somebody. Not everybody that is is involved in it is somebody that had a rough life or got nowhere. No, he was a fisherman his whole life. He worked his whole life. So yes, there are different levels of different people. You and know, it's thing, not. Too, you think yeah. About now the pandemic now has now also removed churches. The pandemic has removed therapy sessions. The pandemic has removed AA meetings, NA meetings, yeah. has removed all kinds of different types of treatment. I know that the methadone clinics only allow, you know, certain things going on. I mean, I know that the pandemic has changed drug addiction treatment already at a whole other different level. How are we going to respond even to that? They're responding to the well, COVID-19, but they're not responding to the drug addiction problems that are now being exacerbated due to the COVID-19, because now we just took and removed all levels of assistance to all drug addicts, <coughs> all of them. And, and well, they've done a couple things. Yeah. Yeah. It's been completely wiped and removed from right underneath them. What are we going to do about that now? I don't know. What do they do about that now? Well, well I mean, they've done a couple things, right? So, like, for example, so my group faces of opioids. I'm an organization, but we're also a Facebook group. We have 65,000 people that um, engage in our group um, to, for support. So NA and SMART and AA, they've moved a lot of their meetings to virtual, so you can do them, like, instead of in person, you can do them online. Um, I know, so with methadone clinics, for example, the federal government just passed something last week where they can send you home with, like, two weeks to a month of take-homes, which means instead of going every day, you would take home a supply. Um, and it depends how stable you are, how many days they can send you home with. Like if you're new in recovery, if you've been in recovery a long period of time, just depends. So they are trying to do some things. But, yes, the, 
the, the, the things that you're bringing up, like I'm worried about my people in sober living, right? Like they have to pay rent weekly. If they can't work, they can't pay rent. Are they kicking them out? Like we don't know. We can't get a pulse. And there's no protocol ac across the country on how those things are going to be handled. So, yeah, I'm certainly worried about my community. There, there are some states that if they can't work uh, because their business legally had to be shut down, um, if you apply for unemployment, you need to explain that, put that in attachment, and it's supposed to push their unemployment through quicker. Um, I did oh, have good. a daughter laid off, so I did find that out. So I had to find out some information for her because my older daughter, my 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 only daughter, anyways, she was laid off. So that is something right. that they're doing now to push through through the United States. So that package was actually pushed through. But I think in all the consideration of all this stuff with the pandemic and all the laws and everything that's getting pushed through, I do think that that's not something that they're really seriously considering. Because you're right, drug dealers are still on the corners. You're right, people are still selling drugs out of their houses. You're right. Yep. People are delivering drugs to here, there, and everywhere. They're also in the danger of transmit, transmitting the COVID-19 to all these people. Danger of transmitting the COVID now from here, there, and everywhere. I mean, we're, they're, now they're putting people in danger for not only the drug problem, but also for the COVID-19 problem. Yeah, but they don't, they, don't, um, they don't think of it that way. And that's no, what it is. I do not. know from my experience of dealing with my husband and the empathic side, he, he didn't think of it that way. He, he didn't literally, he didn't think. It, it didn't dawn on him that anything he was <laughs> doing was wrong. No, I mean, the general not. public, the general public, most people think that we deserve it, right? We're junkies. We chose it. Um, yes. Yeah, yeah. And you you think of this picture and what you think of a drug addict, what a drug addict looks like. It's like what you see in the movies, right? They're on the street corner, and but that's not the reality. Of what we're going on here? I mean, we're losing people. You know, I don't know how many young men that I've seen. I, I think I've helped at least three thousand families in the last two years that have lost children, and I mean, most of them were nineteen-year-old kids from good families. College, football, you know, all aspects. Heroin has no. Yeah. It has, this drug has no boundaries. No boundaries. No. Police officers it, have their no boundaries. Police I agree. Officer, we've had a, yeah, well, you said police officers overdose. We've seen judges overdose. We saw a, a, an anesthesiologist overdose. I mean, all on fentanyl. I mean, this, you know, I mean, we're seeing, I mean, this isn't just, you know, I've had a, you know, I have one mother that's lost five children to this. Five. Yeah, all five wow. of her children. Yeah, I have a parent that lost two of his children, daughter and son. Very sad. <sighs> And I'm going to tell you guys something. This is another part of the spiritual aspect of this. When I, did, when I did all this, I got a phone call from a family, and they said, our son just overdosed. Can you go to the hospital and pray for him? I said, okay, I'm there. I'll be there in five minutes. I took my anointing oil and everything, and I took my boyfriend with me. I said, you're coming with me. We're going to pray. I get to the hospital. I picked up the red phone that they have there at the hospital, and a doctor said, is this Lisa? And I said, yeah, it's Lisa, and they opened up the doors for me. I go into his hospital room. There's blood on the sheets. I sat right on it. I didn't care. I sat next to him, and I, said, I looked at him. And I'll never forget this. I said, are you ready to change your life? Because nothing you have done so far has worked, right? He says, yeah, nothing I've done has worked. I said, are you willing to pray with me? And he said, I am. And I'll never forget the look in his eyes. And he said, I want to be 
a better father. I want to be a better son for my family. And when I prayed, I'm sorry, I'm crying, but when I prayed with him, I felt the spiritual move in that hospital room. And then here comes the nurse, and the nurse is crying. And she said, did you just pray for him? I said, I did. And she says, Lisa, we just lost. We had 13 people come in the ER tonight. He's the only one living. All other 12 are dead. He is the only one living. And I tell you what, talk about emotional. Then the doctor comes to me. The doctor at the ER says, can you help us? I said, what do you need, doctor? He says, I want you to pass House Bill 713. I said, well, I'm not familiar with House Bill 713, but I will look it up. And I came Mm -hmm. home, kept my promise. I called my contacts in D.C., and they told me, the reason why that bill went dead, literally flatlined, was because the senator that was pushing it through retired. And when he retired, that bill went flatlined. I said, well, I yeah. want to file a grievance. I want to file a grievance on HB 713. And they took my name, they took my complaint, and now I'm waiting. I'm waiting for that. What is the House Bill 13? What is that actually? Okay, House 713 is to put someone in treatment involuntarily. Oh. A lot of people people got mad at me. But think about it. If the the person suffering with addiction, their brain chemistry has changed. They're not thinking straight. So we, the family, think straight for them. We put them in there involuntarily. And then a month later, they're they're thanking us. Oh, thank you for doing that. My whole life is going to be better now. I'm doing good. You have to look at the outcome of it. You have to look at the all-in-all picture, the, the future of it. You know, and I don't know if Melissa agrees. Melissa, do you agree with the House Bill 713? Yeah, I mean, I guess because the way I look at it, you know, and, and I'm all about individual freedoms and less government, so I don't, you know, I tend to stray that way. But, but when this circumstance, to me, it's no different than dealing with someone that's mentally ill that's a danger to themselves or others. I think that's exactly when you're using drugs what you are. And I think we should be able to commit that person against their will for, for you know, a, a small period of time for them to get their brain chemistry clear. Then they can make decisions from there, right? But I think, yeah, I think we should have that because I watched my son struggle in and out of addiction. He's an adult child. There's nothing more frustrating than not being able to help your child. Even though he was a legal adult, there was nothing I can do. Like in Virginia, the age of medical consent is 14. Wow, so I can't make wow. a child over 14 do something. And you're talking about now from kids 15 to 18. You really can't force them into treatment, even even minors. So that that's yeah, I I do agree with seven. I agree with the bill. I think actually it's a good idea because correct me if I'm wrong, ladies. But don't they say that when you start using drugs is usually the age that you get stuck mentally? So like say if you start using drugs at like twelve or thirteen and you maybe like thirty or forty years old, but you get stuck at that no. thirteen year old age, right? No. I thought I'd heard that. It, it was with my son. Like, you know, so my son is 24 now, but he's still a pain in the ass like he's 16, and that's about when he started using drugs. So I probably, now I don't know, like, but then I can speak for my friend Heather, who didn't become a drug user until the late 30s, so I didn't see that kind of um, stunting. Do you know what I mean? But certainly when you're younger, I've seen that they, they do tend to stunt, and they have to kind of catch up, is, is my experience. 
Yeah, yeah. you two are talking over each other. It's hilarious. <laughs> Sorry, guys. No, that's that's okay. It's like you both got this. You got this New York thing where you got to talk. Michelle's got this. I know. Uh, when she's going to talk. So I'm just sitting there nodding my head, and I'm trying to say, like, a minute, and she just keeps going, and it's funny. It really is hilarious. You know, I'm on a catch up. I'm on a delay with you guys. Yeah, so it's it's hilarious. So because not only she's right next to me, but we have to practice social distancing. So because she has the flu, and because she's diabetic, she's got a low immune system. So she's still quarantining in her bedroom, which is right behind me, by the way. So (laughs) (laughs) hilarious. I want to keep my germs to myself. Yeah, she's just funny. Okay. She just wants me to do all the cooking and baking. Who are you kidding? Well, you know, I like the I like the restaurant. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, I Mm. as as far as like I know other people have other experiences as well, but when I seen my husband. It, I didn't see an addict. I, I see things differently. I seen a very beautiful person, a kind-hearted person, a loving person with the world's biggest heart out of anybody I've ever met. And when we were together in the beginning before he went back, he was the best person in the world. And he will always be the best person in the world. I don't look at people like that. I mean, even when I take the bus, it's not... It's right. like, you know, I this one guy all the time, I want a beer, I want a beer. And I talk to him like I'm his mother because I'm old enough to be his mother. But I don't care if he's on the streets or not. I'm still going to talk to you. I'm still going to try to get through to you because Michelle does the same thing. We both do it. Person, though, because you're yeah. an addict, you know, you're drug addict or an No, I mean, you know what? Sometimes the shittiest things happen to the best people. And I can no. tell you my husband was one of the best. That's, I mean, that's, that's the like way I feel. Well, I, I'm, a, I'm a diabetic, so I have a disease, so I'm a bad person because I'm a diabetic. No, I mean, drug addiction is a disease. You're not a bad person if you have that disease. I don't believe that either. I mean, See, what do you ladies say about that, Lisa, Melissa? Do you agree? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I definitely think it's a disease. I think it's, you know, there's debates if it's, you know, but the Medical Association agrees it's a disease, so that's what it is. But I look at it. You know, when I start, like, for this group, for example, this group, you know, where I represent people that are in recovery, people that have lost people, you know, I'm the leader, I'm the helm of the ship. When my son relapsed, I remember thinking, should I tell them? And I thought, okay, if I was running a cancer group, I would tell them, if God forbid, he came out of remission. Why would I feel any kind of stigma? Like, I'm trying to fight that kind of stigma, right? We should be able to talk about it like any other disease. We shouldn't have to feel that shame because, you know, that's it. Yeah. When when you come to the point, and this was always my issue, if I air out too much, my kids will hear too much. I've always been very protective of my children. We had children. Right. So I I have to be careful what I say. I mean, my kids might know, but it's something we don't talk about. But that's because I was, yeah, I know. I've been very guarded because of them, not... For my husband, like I said, Nasty, my husband was an addict. I loved him to death. You know, I mean, sometimes I'd want to punch him right. outside the and other times I want to hug him. But that's what a relationship is normally. So, you know, no big deal. That's the way I look at it. That's why I've been busting her open loops because I feel like the opposite. I feel like, you know, honesty, that's policy regardless because yeah. I, want my, I would want my kids to understand 
Well, my, my kids know some, but it was... Regardless, like, when I, the person that I was with for eight years, I was a drug addict. Yeah. I didn't hide anything from his children or family, neither did I hide it from mine, because I, I, they saw him going in and out of treatment. They saw us going to a couple of therapies. They saw him going to therapy. They saw him going to treatment. Um, and I wanted them to understand that it was a disease, that it was a an epidemic going around, that it was something that they would, that would hopefully they would see with their own eyes, open eyes, and hopefully you would understand the, the ramifications of it, and hopefully it would be something that they would hopefully realize that it's not something that they would want to go down that road. You know what I mean? But we all know that that doesn't protect anybody from anything because you never know what make, what makes the whole thing start for anybody in the first place. Everybody has their own reasons for what how they start taking drugs in the first place. Yeah. But, no, no, with me, it was just, there was too much going on. You know that. Literally, I mean, it. he was, towards the end, when the cancer got real bad, no, he he was, you know, he was on a lot of prescription meds. But literally, I mean, you're in so much pain, they're prescribing yeah. morphine. And because I was a caregiver, I, I, I'm the one that gave it to him. But it was, it was so bad that it was a toss-up. He had an enlarged heart. He had liver cancer. He, he was an addict, but it was like it was in so much pain, it was like a fourth stop, which is dangerous. And what happened was he had a, a major coronary. He had a heart attack. They resuscitated him, but they couldn't get him going because then uh, his, when his liver shut down, his whole body was full of toxins. And he ended up dying the day after my son got married. He promised him no matter what happened, because he was supposed to be the best man at, best man at his wedding. But he promised him no matter what happened, I will live until the day you get married. I will not die on your wedding. I won't. Yeah, you will get married, and he died the morning after his wedding. Mm-hmm. I think that's why the whole thing was so, so devastating to me. I th- I feel like I'm having a counseling session here today. Well, I mean, I, uh, like for Lisa and Melissa to understand too, and yeah. everybody out there, like this is the first time she's literally coming out and saying, you know, I understand my husband was an addict, and I'm coming out there and saying yes, he was an addict. I'll open it. I'm proud of you. Um, and not said openly, you know what I mean? So I'm proud of you because you're breaking that freaking stigma. You're breaking that out of you because it's not something wrong. It's not something wrong that he did. He was an addict. He had a disease. He was not a bad person. He was not a bad man. He loved you regardless. He didn't choose drugs over you. It wasn't like that. That's something she, she has in her head too, ladies. Melissa and Lisa and everybody out there. Um, it, it was a truly a disease. It was truly, truly a disease. It's like he, he couldn't, he wouldn't have chose cancer over you. He wouldn't have chose diabetes or high blood pressure over you. It wasn't something like that. I mean, it, it's a true, true disease. And it's something that you need to understand. You know, it, it affects people from a young age and all the way to an older age. It's, and you never know what the, what's going to be the, um, the catalyst for anybody's drug, drug addiction or what's going to be the catalyst for them to have a relapse. And here I am talking like I'm, I'm you know, I'm the one who wrote the magazine. Oh. Please help me, help me. <laughs> hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring her on as my counselor. Is that okay? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I was going to say something that on. I'd like to add. I'd like to add something, you know, I think when you were talking about, you know, with, with, whether your kids would find out or their friends would find, you know, whatever that is, I think that, you know, as bold as I am, I think there needs to be caution because there are consequences in owning your truth. 
they're not all going to be good. Like, I mean, I think it's great. You know, I, I, I try to, to tell my story, share my story, but you know, I do caution people. You have to be prepared to do that in your life because some people are going to shun you. Some people are going to be uncomfortable. Someone's going to make fun of your kid. There are consequences. We want to change that. And I think by being more honest, and open that will change the dialogue but i don't want people to think it's mary poppins because even now when someone asks how my best friend died and i share it it's like it's like you know it's like one of those bars where like the music stops and everything it's like you know they get really you know so there is something about that and and you know, and and with children, you know, we have a children's group. We have like over, I think we started like a year ago. We have over 500 kids that have lost a parent to yeah, um, the faces, little faces program, yeah. Right. So, but I had so many parents like, do I tell my kids? When do I tell my kids? Should I tell my kids? And I think that I do believe in honesty. I, I think that you do it at age appropriate levels. I, you know, I think you, you know, but do you encourage your kids to tell their friends at school or this? I mean, you know, I mean, there's so many complexities to that. And I think that until we are much further along, you know, it, it, it is okay to be a little bit protective of, you know, and, and not have to feel guilty about keeping your story to yourself until you're ready to, to be, to face all those consequences that might come with it. I mean, yeah, my, I agree. My son, my son does know. They, they all know, but right. he, yeah. It, it took a while. Joseph was the youngest. Everybody else was older and married, and Joseph was still right. home. So right now he's got me and Auntie Michelle and two dogs. <laughs> right. <laughs> so he's still got that Portuguese around them because I'm not Portuguese. He was a Portuguese. So he's he still got that, <laughs> that Portuguese nagging around him. But I knew when 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 I – jumped at this show, I knew there was a reason I had to jump at it. And I also knew that it would right. be a very difficult show for me to do, but I also knew that it was something that I had to do because you have all the perspectives right here in the room. Literally. Right. The individual that is is living with it who is fighting to stay above board and she's also dealing with her son and then we have the person that goes out and help and then we have the other end of you know me and the other end of Michelle so this right. all is, is it's well rounded and maybe everybody can see all the perspectives of everything because it it'll help if if we can help just one person by doing this show, by me opening my mouth, by Michelle opening her mouth, anybody, just one. That's one person we couldn't save before. And I think that's what it is about me. And that's why I knew this was going to be hard for me. And I, I wonder it would. Um, as those people can see me, yes, there are tears in my eyes right now. But it's something that needs to be done. It needs to be said. It needs to come out. Well, like you said, you you may not change the world, but you may touch the person that does. Amen to that. Know. Amen to yeah. that. Look at you, did Melissa. You have over sixty three thousand people. My gosh, look how many people you help. I mean, I don't even know how you can do it all. I mean, I, I'm juggling with uh, you know, so many. <laughs> you're dealing with you're dealing with what sixty five thousand. Yes, sixty five thousand. I think I looked. I, I think last week, like forty thousand were active. Which means they're participate made a comment or um, I, I do it twelve hours a day. You know I, I you know what, you know it's funny because my place mine kind of, yours came from a revelation from God in a place of uh, it sounds like you know um, an epiphany. Mine came from a place of darkness, right? Like I was just at such a low point, 
And I was in the bathtub and I'm like, it, you know, and I think just kind of got that warm feeling, this brilliant idea. You know what I mean? Like mine was sent in a different way. Um, and I really did it for selfish reasons. I was lonely and sad, you know, like I didn't have, like, I'm going to help the world, but clearly God had other plans for me. I agree. You know, the one thing, the one thing I could not find was a group where my son could actually to- talk open and honest when he was ready. They don't have that around here. They yeah. don't, have, they want to stop the cycle, help the kids. Right. I agree. Give yes. them someplace to go, whether they've experienced it from the outside or whether they're in. There should be no separation because it's like with me. I was on the outside looking in, and now I am listening to you, and, and now because I have a fresh set of ears, I can hear what you were saying. I can feel what you were saying. That's what these kids need. That's what adults need, too. It, it's, it shouldn't be separated. Yeah. It should be like small groups together, people helping people. That's what needs to happen. Right. Well, well, you know, you know, do it again. For the last 20 something years around us here in Massachusetts, they, for some reason, that just has not happened. The kids don't even get that kind of opportunity. No, they don't. So, a program like yours, Melissa, and I mean, people like that to talk to around here would be a godsend. Because that's a lot of missing pieces that we have around here. And I can only imagine there must be a million other communities around here that have that same exact issue that we have. That we don't have access to hear other people's truths in order for the children to learn and absorb and understand, you know, why why this is actually something that they should avoid. Why it's so life-changing. Why it's so um, consuming a family. Why, why you end up in jail? Why you end up in mental facilities that you don't care? You know, why, what is the subject? Why, what is insanity, right? What do they say? You keep doing the same thing, and, and especially if you change, it's, it's insanity, right? What does that mean? Like, the kids don't learn what that means anymore. That's a lost piece. And I know that's a lost piece in our community. So I can only imagine how many other communities out there that's already missing that piece. Right. Which is sad. Which is very, very sad. I was just going to say, I personally think that it would be good to start, um, you know, we've been researching this a lot, you know, trying to expand little faces into like, like a children's program. And I think it really should start around fifth grade, like kind of when they do family planning at school, it would be a good tie in. You already have yeah. the kids, girls and boys, and I think it'd be a good time because, you know, it, it's, you know, I remember learning about, I was part of the just say no generation, right? So I'm 46. That was, you know, I, I was right around for all that. And I do remember like they never, you know, they taught cocaine and alcohol and pot and all, all kind of in a mixed bag, like don't do them. They're bad. Right. No one, no one really ever told me that, you know, heroin's not a recreational drug, right? You're going to lose your limbs. You're going to, you're going to get an infection. You're going to have to have heart replacement. Do you know I mean? There's so many factors. And I think that we need to be much more um, realistic and more brutal about what drug use is like. And I think especially if you have a family member, you have a, you know, you have a higher chance of carrying that gene and, and having an addiction yourself. So maybe those kids 
never take, you know, that Laura tab when they get their teeth pulled. You know what I mean? Like there's so many things we could learn and educate, not just kids, but their families as well. And I think it needs to start. I would target fifth grade, I think, would be a good place to start. Well, Susan, um, I agree with uh, Melissa, and that's why I submitted my coloring book PDF. I did a coloring book for strangers, dangers. I love that. <laughs> Thank you. I but do. I, I'm sorry. I just love it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna put this on Amazon. What I like to do is I like to give it to Melissa free, which I did, and Melissa's gonna change it up. So she'll take it from stranger dangers to drug awareness. Yep. I want a coloring book. Absolutely. Sorry, everybody. I want to be a giver, not a taker. That's my way of giving. Hey, Melissa, here's a free PDF. Change it up, make it a drug awareness coloring book, and let's get it out there. um, You know, for her page, and I think it's important because we do need to reach the younger generation. And and so I agree with Melissa 100%. Yeah, we really do. We really do. Even even teens, even now, I know he needs to open up a little bit more. I know that. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and now, now there is one program I wanted to mention since there might be other listeners. So there's a thing called Camp Mariposa. So Camp Mariposa is a camp for kids that they can go, like, free for the weekend. And it's, like, basically kids that have have someone in their family that um, has an addiction. Um, and it's usually held in every major major baseball league city because that's where they have the camp so and it's free that's something to look up and then there's also camp Aaron, um, e-i-r-n and they help they have free weekends as well for children that have lost a loved one so there are oh. but, but again those those programs are far and few between and you have to be able to get to those cities but there are you know i would love to see things like that grow even more that would be you know so kids can be with other kids that are going through the same experiences that they've had to experience i agree I really agree. That is definitely something that needs needs, uh, that needs, needs to be expanded upon. There's a lot of things to do. Hey, wait, wait, wait. Our stalker is from Channel 10. Try to get that straight. Okay. I'm keeping a list. <laughs> oh my God! So if now, when you you don't take any proceeds, but the proceeds via magazine goes to someone, uh, goes to yeah. Um, I like I said, I don't want to keep anything, um, and I I want to give you know to a local rehab, which is a Dalton Teen Challenge. It's just I was doing so many missing person cases and homicide cases by praying over that person for families. Mm-hmm. And also for, like, state police, I've looked into cases for them. I was on scene with them. And I got so involved in that, I just didn't market that magazine. But I want to really take those proceeds and give it to Adult and Teen Challenge. Okay, that's wonderful. Yeah, so far there wasn't an adequate amount. Like, there was really nothing made. And what I did make, I already gave to my co-author. And it's interesting because he almost started crying. He almost broke down because the first check I got, the only check I got, um, I messaged him and I said, Justin, I'm going to give you the check because I don't want the money and I'm just going to give it to you and then any other checks that come, I'll give to Adult and Teen Challenge, right? <clears throat> and he comes to the house here and I signed the check and I gave it to him and he looked at me and he says, you don't realize 
he goes, you know, I graduated from co- you know, I was graduating from college at cl- more classes, and he goes, and I really didn't have the gas money to run out there because we were all supposed to meet. He said, Lisa, by you giving me this check, you just met my needs for gas money today. Oh. Be able wow. to, and he's a drug counselor, and he was furthering his education to even do more for people that are suffering with addiction. So, you know, I, I teared up because I thought, wow, this is truly a blessing because, you know, he has two kids. He has a wife. You know, he, he, there's a lot of responsibility there. So yeah. that extra income really helped him out. But anything at, thereafter all will go to Adult and Teen Challenge. So how do people order this book directly? Um, they can go through my uh, publisher, and the number is 724-226-1255. Awesome. Is there uh, a website that they can go to your publisher's website and just order it there? Um, I would. Yeah, I do have a website I could send you if you want to post that. Okay. Because um, he has like a – if you specifically type in the book or the magazine, it should take you to his website as well. Okay. All now, right. Melissa, what about money? How can people read what all of that you do? Yeah, we still have another yeah. hour. I make sure this information gets out there. Yeah, well, yeah absolutely. <laughs> so to connect with Faces, um, you can either go to facesofopioids.org um, or you can go to Facebook slash groups slash Faces of Opioids um, is how to reach us. We um, Now, we're kind of like, I think we kind of do something similar to Lisa. Like we do, we do take donations and things like that, but we're the same way. We don't take salaries. We don't fatten like big office space. We don't have, we don't do, we we don't do bloated things like admin fees. I think, you know, and you just have to look for that. But I think most people, I don't know if it's been in your experience, Lisa, most that I've worked with really are giving back to their communities. I mean, I think that most of them are when they are, you know, raising funds or whatever they're doing. I've, I've seen a lot of positive in this community. I mean, at least the people I've worked with so far. I donated to your little faces program. I know. I think it's amazing because these children have hope. Like it gives them a, a ray of hope. It's like when you get they get a gift in the mail from you guys, right? I mean, they get teddy bear and and cards. Well, we we we, um, we basically we make a sh- we make a pillow out of their lost loved one's shirt. So they oh mail the shirt like the. Yeah, it's we we send a memorial package, and then like you know on like the anniversary of their loved one's death, we send them like forget me nots to plant and things like that. So, um, and you know, and when when I when I had this, yeah, when I when I thought about well, I can't sew by the way, I had to find seamstresses because I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I just thought it'd be a great idea to send them pillows, and I thought they would be like keepsakes, but no, these kids like hold them and love them and smell them, and I mean, you know, they miss their mom, they miss their dad, you know, and so I think having a pillow made from like their dad's favorite shirt really is, is a really beautiful thing to do for children. It, it is my, my, it really is my, my, um, my daughter-in-law took one of my husband's flannel shirts and made a teddy bear out of it yeah. for my son and put his ashes in it. So yeah. And he still has it in his room. That's really yeah. sweet. That's yeah. really a sweet idea. Oh, yeah. that's so cute. These things like this that give back to the community that literally open up, you know, people's eyes. To guarantee the child that receives a gift like that, and if they're ever presented with drugs, that's almost like a little light that goes on in the head, going ding, 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 ding. Wow, this happened. I don't want this to happen to me. I don't want to have to have my one of my families receive something like this and to have to leave someday. 
It's almost like giving them a, a gift, but a gift in more than one way because. Well, and I wanted to, you know, I wanted to, oh, sorry. I, I wanted to teach kids that it's okay to be altruistic. You you can help someone. Like, you know, we're strangers. We send them gifts, and they might not even know why, and they don't have to. Sometimes it's okay to just be nice to a stranger for no reason. I don't want anything in return. I think it's a gift to teach children that. You know, yeah. we, we purposely made this group, and we called it Little Faces. We didn't tie opioids. We didn't tie face opioids. You know, I wanted, I still wanted it to be the parents' lead on what and how to tell their children, but these kids know they get special gifts from us and they and things like that, and, and I think that's okay. I think that's enough. Um, they like their little birthday cards and stickers that they get, and, you know, and I got a little letter, you know, I've gotten letters from some of these kids, like, you know, a five-year-old wrote me a letter saying, you know, thanking me for, you know, and their little handwriting, and they drew a little picture, you know, thanking me for, you know, getting their pillow made, so that stuff really touches your heart. Aww. It's huge. Aww. I love that. I absolutely love that. You know, that's the lost art of the little thank you notes from the kids. That's the best. That is so cute. I love that. That's that. That makes it. That makes like for your. That makes for you. I'm sure. That is so cute. Yeah, it really that's does. Awesome. Wow. Well, any questions for our guests, guys? Please make sure to post that in the chat room. We got our restream going up. So. Um, yeah, I'm trying, trying to get the. Guys. Um, I'm trying to get the link over here. Up. At least to wow, ATU network page. Talk about a long link there. There it is. Okay. All right. Actually, <laughs> time, which is a pause for the cause of what we like to call refilling coffee and potty time. So we <laughs> we're gonna put you two on hold, and we are going to be right back right after this. Don't forget, guys, if you want to call in, you want to share your story, you need some advice. These two ladies are the best person to call right now. You can call in at 563-999-3002. We're going to see who's on the line when we get back, so stay tuned. We're actually going to be right back right after this.
everybody. We are back. This is the Team Network. Don't forget, our call-in number is 563-999-3002. And if you would like to help ATU Network out, just go on over to um, Susan Swanbeck page, ATU. That is where we sell all of our crystals. So, you know, that's awesome. And we're going to pull. Do you have anything else to add before we pull Melissa and Lisa back on? Oh, we are back with Lisa Linsky and Melissa Dunford talking about magazine Dope in the Hope, the heroin epidemic, guys. So if you would like to call and speak with our guests and or, and or tell your story, please give us a call at 563-999-3002. And we look forward to hearing from you guys, too. We know this is a really tough subject to talk about. Um, but you know what? Let's get our minds off the COVID-19 for a little bit. And let's talk about something else. <laughs> we do have a caller. In, we do have a caller. In, in hold. I have no idea who this caller is. So um, we are talking with the last four numbers is 8053. So I'm going to pull this caller on the line if that's okay with you. Yes. Lisa, Melissa, are you back with us? Yes. Oh, yeah, I'm here. Yep. I'm ready okay, to go. <laughs> All right. All right. Hi, you're live on the air with ACU Network. Who are we speaking with? Oh, hi. My name is Maui. Hi, how are you doing today, honey? Uh, I'm doing great. I didn't realize that I was going to be on the live show, but you know, um, my question is: is um, I um, at one time I was homeless, and there is this stigma that anyone that's homeless is a drug addict, and they talk about them as if they're not even people. And so I myself was one of the few people that was not addicted to drugs. I just, you know, my circumstances were that, unfortunately, my husband passed, and um, I did not expect that. But, you know, I'm no longer homeless. And um, how can we get the community, um, I guess, to to not look as the look at these people as, you know, just Things. I mean, they're just like, you know, they walk by and they say things and throw things. And, I mean, how do we change that attitude that these are people with, you know, with mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters and these people are human? Well, I think you have to start with the kids, right? Teaching kids empathy and apathy and, I mean, you know, all those things. I mean, that's part of it. I mean, I went to Skid Road and... Um, LA uh-huh. um, and I thought you know any one of these young men could be my son if he didn't have a family and we didn't have money and we didn't have good insurance and we you know what I mean like it was just circumstances right. that's the only difference right? Um, right you know and but you know I do think that people just recoil they think of anyone as homeless or in circumstances like that they give us as a subhuman or they chose it or and like I said I think a lot of that has to just do with teaching people to be altruistic very young um mm-hmm. that's how I was raised I think for me it was a natural progression I was I was I've always been empathic and I've always been raised to 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 help others like you know my grandfather once had told me you can never be rich unless you give it away you know you have to oh, you know, so I think that's absolutely. part of it so yeah, I think absolutely. That's, you know and, and I think that's part of it I mean I don't know I mean Lisa what do you think I mean I think that's really I, I think it's hard. To, how do you teach empathy? You have to do it when they're young, I think. I think it's hard to teach grown adults to be kind to one another. 
Right, right. It starts young. I agree. I think that more speak outs on it, more awareness, you yeah. know, makes one become educated. Um, that's why I started my speak outs, and I've had good, you know, a lot of uh, great feedback. Um, if you really want to make a change, you, you bring it in the public eye, and and that's doing speak outs and you know holding meetings and, and seeing where that goes from there, um, because mm-hmm. the homeless they are somebody, and they are somebody. Mm-hmm. They're somebody's mother. They're somebody's cousin. You know, never look down upon a homeless person. Lift them up. And that's the best thing we can do. You lift them. Right. You don't down them. And you pray for them. And you provide. Right. You can provide for them. But the main thing is really going to get the word out there is you hold speak outs. And you speak for those who cannot speak. Yep. You know, right. give, them a clear, give them clarity. You know, even children should be told. You know, sometimes things happen in life. Sometimes everybody hits their down road, you know, and things happen. It doesn't make them a bad person, you know. Um, so th- that would be my advice. If you really want to make that change, get out there and just bring awareness to it. Right. I, 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 I agree. When yeah. my children were little, um, my big thing about my daughter, I, I got her involved in student government and local community government and um, give me back and um, lots of volunteer work right off right off the rip. I mean, she was young, doing it from a very young age. And part of that was working with the homeless. Um, I would have my children see me work with the homeless, provide them with food, provide them with clothing, work with them to receive shelter. I, I mean, I think by working with example when your kids are young, that, I also think that that helps a lot with getting rid of the stigma, too, about that. Is that mm-hmm. For your children to also see you as an adult, realize that these are also other humans. You know what I mean? A lot of the people, I think, have lost that yep. uh, So I believe getting the children young, working with community groups, get, those kids, get the kids out there doing something that makes them see these people as humans. humans. You're, not, you're not feeding animals in the shelter. You're feeding human beings. Okay, and it's important that you provide them with respect because, yes, they are somebody's mother or father or, or daughter or son, and they do require warmth. And for them to think about them, oh, my God, it's raining out. Do they have shelter? Uh, what can I do to help them? You know, maybe put food aside and help them, you know, learn that on certain days of the week you provide food to, uh, you know, a, a food bank and learn that you give, like, clothing to a place where you're going to provide clothing for the homeless. Um, and I think that starts off with the children young. And in every community, there are groups that do volunteer work with children young. And that's one thing I know that's the case in every community. So I think that falls on us adults, too, to get your children involved very, very young. And it's our fault right. if we don't get our children involved. And it's our fault if we, if we also don't teach our children to see them empathetically and to see them as other human beings because that just shows our kids that we don't see them as human beings. Right. And it's not right. something. And I, so I, I think the churches, yeah, I think you know? the churches <laughs> by, by having, um, you know, by, by, by having things where, you know, for example, they have showers every Monday from, you know, 11 to 2 or something like that. You know, I think that churches that do that 
um, the congregation, you know, they gather supplies for the homeless. I think people that go to church, I'm not saying that they're better than people that don't, but I think that their children see that and they know that, okay, we're supposed to help others. You know, I think, you know, I think they're more apt to do it, but it just, you know, I mean, I'm in Los Angeles, and I mean, oh, it's it's you know. sad the amount of homeless people. And you know, I'm in West Hills, and I grew up here, and to see so many homeless people, and then I say something about it on Facebook, and they're, you know, rather than saying, okay, well, this is where you can go to donate. Oh, well, you know what? You seem to care so much about them. Why don't you open up your home to them and let them all come live with you with their, you know, needles and their, I'm like, wow, you know, yeah. that's, that's not, not, that's not the way to be, you know? I know a group, it's called Sober Minded Ministries and uh, Sean Copley, he does a lot for the homeless and that's in Ohio. He's in Columbus. He's in Columbus, Ohio. But I could tell you, he it's just amazing. He pulls his car up in a parking lot down there, and people just come out of the woods. And he provides oh, them yeah. blankets and heaters. It's just been amazing, his walk on his path. See, everybody's doing their part. And we need the government to do their part. And, right. and that's where I get frustrated. That's, that's my frustration. And, you know, and, and believe me, I prayed that up, too, because... You know, these drugs, I believe God made. these. Everything that grows, I believe, is from the Lord, but it's used in the wrong way. It's, it's for medical purposes, you know, like marijuana. That could be used for medical purposes. People are taking what was brought here to help people, and they're destroying people with it by adding garbage to it. And our government, right. we just had a special forces soldier get caught bringing drugs into our country. It has to stop. But no, everybody's making money. It's all about greed. Think about that. Right. This virus, and I know you don't want to talk about the virus, but this virus is so similar to the drug epidemic. And let me explain. I can give you six right now. One, death. People dying. Number two, the economy. Financials. Number three. Funeral homes, overwhelmed. Four, richer becoming richer, the pharmaceuticals. Five, help is limited. And six, everybody panics taking a script after surgery. So there's more there. Those are the top six that I came up with. Tell me how that's different from the the virus. The the only difference is our government is, you know, bringing this out on the virus why are, and we're losing more people on the drug epidemic. There's something wrong here. There, right. There's something, there's something seriously wrong with our government, and we need to take that to prayer because changes have to come. We're human. And, no, I'm not perfect. Believe me, I, I don't walk on water. But I want to tell you something. God does. And if we trust him enough to bring his hand down and make these changes with our government officials, you know, it can happen. And, that, and I believe in the power of prayer because I've seen the power of prayer work. And, and that's why I preach on that. You know, and no, I don't want to put the Bible in anybody's face or my belief in anybody's face because everybody has a right to their own belief. I'm only sharing mine because I've seen it work. But that's where my frustration lies, is this government is making money. There's a big difference. Now with the virus, now they're losing money, right? Oh, now we got to talk about it. 
because, you know, we don't want to lose money. But with the drug epidemic, they're making money. That's where my, you understand where my frustration is there? Right. Yeah. Yeah. You can tell it yeah. in my voice. I get really upset about this. Well, I want to, I want to, I'm sorry. I do still. Yeah, I was going to say, um, I was going to ask, do you have a Facebook page or something? Because I got an email and I didn't know what the topic was, but then I thought, oh, wow, good topic. And so I was listening. Now, I don't know how I got an email, but do you have a Facebook <laughs> page that you're on? Are you talking to me or are you talking to our guests? All, all of you. Like, how did I, I – I don't even know how I got I you. Am on Awaken, I am ATU Network. I am on uh, – we're on Blog Talk Radio, Google Play, TuneIn, iTunes. We also have Twitter, Facebook, uh, Twitter. It's all ATU Network. We're all over the place. Um, Okay. So as far as you guys, how did she get a hold of you guys? But we are right on Facebook as well, yes. Yeah, um, we might have sent sent the email out. I'm not sure. But, yeah, Faces of Opioids, we have a group and a page on on Facebook. Right. Um, Okay. And we did send an email out, so I don't know. That you were. We appreciate it very, very much. Very much. But okay, I, I, well, I will um, look you up on Facebook as well. I the government has put yeah. behind the heroin epidemic, the money, yeah. and it's, I think we'd be a lot further along in helping, you know, addicts. I, I agree, but this, this social distancing is really hard for me to mute, Michelle, when other people are talking. So... <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, you're on a two-second lag because I can hear you behind me, and it's hilarious. But you made me laugh. <laughs> That's good. Laughter is soothing. So I want to thank you so much for calling in, honey. But, yes, we're all on Facebook. Easy for us to look up. And you did give her your Facebook group, correct? Yes. Okay. All right. So literally. Thank you so much for calling. Oh, thank you so much for calling in, honey. Yeah, all right. And Susan, if people go. want if people want me to pray for them, they can email me at parents at writeme dot com. All right. I mean, I there was one other thing that I wanted to discuss tonight, and it's very important. And I, I will. Um, Michelle, Michelle, Michelle. Yeah. Sorry, one second. She was trying to talk, and I can't hear you and her. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead, honey. There's one other thing that I wanted to bring to everybody's attention. And that's the fact that we have more missing people. Okay, the numbers in the missing have increased dramatically. So our detectives are overworked, our state police are overworked, local PD is overworked. And let me explain. With the drug epidemic, um, we have individuals that are cleaning up. They're, they're changing their lives. They're becoming sober. Well, when it comes to the drug epidemic, drug dealers do not like their clients to clean up and they're killing them. I'm telling you, I've seen cases where, and I can tell you right now, I have a parent that his son was just murdered. He was doing great. They went into his house. They held him down. They injected him. And when the toxicology came back, it was 10 times the fentanyl. What does that tell you? So my advice to anybody that's suffering with addiction, stay out of town. Relocate. Start a new life. Get out of the town that you're in, because I'm starting to see a number increase here. 
I mean, these drug dealers are afraid that the person's going to talk, the person's going to reveal things. So what do they do? They take them out, and it's all because they want to clean up, and that's not right. You know, it's, it's, you know, it's a battle in itself when you're trying to become clean. But it now, while you're staying clean, you have to look behind you, and you have to watch your back. And, that, and that's a lot to take in. You know, and I'm seeing this now, and it, scare, it scares me, and nothing scares me. And, and I'm worried about people that are going through this, and I'm telling you, I'm seeing it right now, and, and it saddens me. You know, it's like the evil's working overtime here, you know, and, and I'm praying it out and I'm praying it up and, and I'm making people aware of this. But I don't know if Melissa feels the same. When you're trying to get clean, move out of that town. Move out of that state. Whatever you got to do to be safe. We encourage that as well. I mean, maybe for different reasons. I mean, I think what you're saying can be valid in a lot of cases, especially if you were a runner or you were dealing drugs as well to support your habit. But I have found that the people that are most successful in staying sober are the ones that don't go back to their stomping ground. I think there's just too much temptation. It's too easy to fall back into routines. Yeah. So I, I, I agree completely that, you know, and it's not feasible for all people, but if you can, you know, find a sober living in another state, go to rehab somewhere, you know, just, I, I think you are, we'll, we'll have a much better chance of being successful. Yeah, I it's agree. Not, it's not fair that they're trying to clean up and then they have a drug dealer on their back. It's not fair. You know, yeah. and then you go to the NA meeting. I don't know. Sorry, if you heard about that. <laughs> I don't know, Melissa, if you're aware of this, but guess where the drug dealers are now? Oh, yeah, we, yeah. Most of you know, it's funny because most of my members they 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 like to go to AA versus NA meetings. NA does have a a persona where that's where that's where you can find the best drugs and whatnot. Seriously, so I, I have noticed a lot of my members that are serious in their sobriety tend to favor their AA meetings over going to an NA meeting, actually, because of some of those issues. Right. And then the drug dealer stands outside. You have the drug dealer standing outside of the NA meeting. Yep. Where's the cops? Where's the cops? That's what I want to know. Where's the local PD? Are they taking money in their pockets? Who knows? That's why I feel pounds go to crap, because if they can get a free prostitute and they get money, a cut out of the money for drugs, they're going to turn their head and your town's going to go to crap. And I'm seeing that, too. I hate to say it, but it is the truth. Our police officers need to stand up to take action. What's that, hon? I didn't hear you. Do you think that drug testing should be like a, a mandated thing at these meetings? Well, yeah, they do have drug testing at meetings. But the thing is, I think there should be cops watching these NA facilities because if they want to catch a drug dealer, honey, all they got to do is watch outside the building. And they'll, they'll, give, they'll give that person that's suffering with addiction a free stamp back just to lure them back in. Just to lure. That's not right. We need to come against this. Our people. And I, would, I, I, I probably would not advocate for drug testing at meetings, and I'll tell you why, because relapse is part of the disease, right? So a lot of times you go to meetings, because you're in sobriety, but a lot of times you go because you've hit your rock bottom again. And you might not get sober that day, but I think every time you have a chance to be with a group, every time you have a chance to 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 hear the truth or find your truth, I think it's okay. So I probably wouldn't advocate for drug testing. And, and like she said, most of them are hanging out around the facilities and stuff with big meetings. So. Wow, that's amazing. That's amazing. I don't know. 
That's how it's at. I'm what sorry, did you hear? I couldn't hear you. What did you say? Yeah, he, he was literally would... trying to lure them back into the drugs, right? Right after actual meeting. Oh yeah, and and it, and it is hard. Like, see, I don't know. I'm not sure if anyone on this on this panel has ever had an addiction to like um, an opioid. But I can tell you, like, when I first, you know, got sober, just hearing about the medication could make my mouth almost water. Like, just talking about it. I'm not kidding. Like, your body was like, oh, you know, just hearing about it. So I can imagine if you're leaving a meeting and you're especially new in sobriety. It'd be very hard to turn down because I mean, my body would have a physical reaction just talking about opioids. Now, just so. a quick question on that: How long is the suggested amount of time before, like, your body starts releasing that? How long before it gets a little bit easier as far as that goes? It never does. There's, there's, yeah. I mean, it really doesn't. You know, and I, and it's, it's weird because, like, now I'm at a place. You know, I don't miss it. I don't crave it. But I do remember talking to my girlfriend. She was six years in sobriety before she died. And I asked her if she missed it, and she was like, every day, every single day. Um, for me, I think I'm in a good headspace, a good, like, I'm, my life is good. So I'm in a good mental space. I'm sure that helps me stay sober. Um, but I certainly could slip. I mean, it, it would be that difficult. If, if there was, you know, if there was a bunch of pills in a room, I, it might be hard for me to walk away and my body would probably still physically react, I'm sure, too. Now, it doesn't react as severely now like when I talk about it and stuff like it used to in the beginning, you know. Um, but yeah, I don't know if that really goes away. And they say, you know, usually now with opioids, after you've been taking opioids for five days, you're physically addicted after five days. Did you yeah. take about eight months, Melissa, for 18 months for the brain itself to heal more so from, you know, because I, I see that there's a problem with, like, uh, rehab. They put them in for two weeks, and they kick them out, and they bring them back, so insurance covers. But is Yeah, it, it, it's not long enough. I mean, you really do need long-term. And, and even with meth, I know meth, was, meth is another thing we're seeing a rise on as well as crystal meth. Um, both of those drugs, because they change brain chemistry so severely, you really need – if you want to be successful, you need long-term inpatient, 90 days or more. You probably need outpatient for several months after that, along with sober living. I would think total treatment, 12 to 18 months, is probably your safest bet to maybe make it. And they don't allow that. And that's hard they to find. Yeah, lucky. and it's hard to find. Yeah. I mean, it's almost impossible. Yep. Yeah, you're lucky. Some insurances, they'll throw you in there for a week, and that's it. Yeah, and it doesn't do enough. It's not enough. I mean, it's, you know, like yeah. – just the first 30 days, you're finally starting to, like, feel like, you know, the physical cravings and stuff are going away, right? You still have all the mental stuff you have to deal with. You still have, you know, what caused you to use and why you're there. You know, all that stuff, is that's, that takes months. But as far as physical, you know, I know, see, for me, mine was a little different. I just decided one day I was going to quit. I just, you know, I was getting medication because of an illness, and then it just it just amped up to wanting more and more, you know. I was taking 400 milligrams of morphine a day. It's a lot. When I started with 15 milligrams, <laughs> that's a big, that tells you how much your body changes and wants it. But for me, I just stopped. But I can tell you, like, I didn't go through a, a professional detox and stuff. So I can tell you, it took about a month for me not wow. to physically crave those drugs. Um, wow. 
and then the mental is a whole other other thing. But it does take some time, you know, to get just to think straight and not have your skin crawl and get back to sleeping normal. You know, I'll, and I'll tell you something else I figured out too. When you stop doing drugs, you got a lot of freaking time on your hands, right? <laughs> when you're, you're, you know what I mean. You have to find things to do. You're like, holy shit, I've got a lot of spare time. So. You know, you need that process. You you need time. And I think that's why I really encourage, like my son has been in treatment. My son's been in rehab. This is his fourth time. But this time he's been inpatient for over 90 days. And we're seeing the best success we've ever seen with him as far as just his thinking and decision making. I think just giving him that time is making such a huge difference. You know what I mean? He's healing. He's healing. I agree. I the biggest issue that I've seen from my experience is if the insurance company would stop worrying about the money, but yet the insurance company will pay for the methadone. If you paid for the actual treatments for the person to get better when they wanted to get better, maybe you would not right. have all of this happening. Maybe something could have stopped earlier. You know, maybe this wouldn't happen. That's the way I think. Yeah. You know, well, they you need to work this way. You know, I was going to say, you know, the first time my son went to rehab, we didn't know anything, right? I didn't know my butt from the hole in the ground, right? I didn't know what, we just picked one and hoped for the best because you don't know what you're doing. You know, you just hope that you're helping your child. But it was 30 days and he came home. Okay, because that's what insurance told us to do and no follow-up treatment. Of course, he went back to using drugs. But here's the thing, in between all of that, you know, he had to have several surgeries because he had infected arms and abscesses. Do you know what I mean? Like, so medical bills were still piling up. If they would have just given him the long-term treatment to begin with, that would have saved thousands and thousands of dollars. Right. It would be cheaper to give him the right treatment than it would be to in and out, in and out, in and out. It it just, you know what I mean, a long-term treatment. It's like my brother. My brother's been sober, okay? He he was an alcoholic all his life. I mean, I, I remember horror stories, okay, since I was 16. But he's sober, and he's been sober over two years. He was the only person, though, that went to Greenbrier voluntarily. Isn't that interesting? Wow. But he's yeah. still so very proud of Jimmy. I'm very proud of my brother. But I know what you're talking about, how you see the change, whether it's drugs or alcohol. Once they remove that attachment, so to speak, they become themselves again. Like yes. a, a lot of people say, well, oh, my gosh, how could she do drugs while she's pregnant? Oh, my gosh, how could she do that? Or how could he do right. that? Because drugs change the chemistry in the brain. You remove the Absolutely. attachment. You have that person again. People don't mm-hmm. get that, and that's what angers me. People judge, and they judge, and, and they have no clue what they're talking about. And unless you are in the know, then you don't know. And, exactly. And, well, you know, I, I finally like my son again. I mean, there was a time I wanted to wring his neck. I mean, you know, I love him, and I'm educated, so I know about ad- addiction, but it's not easy to love someone that's using drugs. It's not easy. It's not for the faint of heart, for sure. But I'm finally at a point, like, I'm like, I really like you now. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I loved you. I've always loved you, but I wanted to murder you for the last two years. I really like hanging out with you now. You know, it, it's nice to see that person. Yeah. Absolutely. I do. I agree with you, ladies. I think if they let it, if they let you get it right with the proper care the first time, I think you would be giving people a lot better chances to this back and forth, back and forth, and just giving That's them right. more illness and more piling up more things and more addictions and more drugs in your system. And right. Now, 
Let me ask you guys a, another question about this. And we're talking about like opioids and heroin and all that. What what are you guys seeing as far as like cocaine addiction? How does that get handled? Cocaine? I think that's, yeah, it's not a psychological addiction more than a physical one. I'm trying yeah, to remember. It, it is. It's, it, yeah, it, it, yeah, it's a stimulant, obviously. And it doesn't, you know, your body doesn't have natural, natural cocaine receptors. So, but, but again, I mean, it's still an addiction. You still have that to deal with. Now they do detox, you know, because I don't know if you guys are aware, but there are drugs out there now that have opioid blockers in them. So someone can't overdose, someone can't get high. You know, they have all these, these, these tools now that can potentially help. We don't have that with uppers like cocaine or crystal meth. Um, and some, some places won't even take you like for rehab. If you don't have, you know, they tell you to go have a couple beers cause they don't, they can't, the insurance won't pay if you're just a crystal meth addict um, or you're just a cocaine addict because they don't, they don't consider that a physical addiction. So I've heard all kinds of crazy stories, but um, I think it's just as real. Um, I do think that you still need long-term treatment for it. Cause I still think you have to get your brain right. And I think, I would say my, I mean, I only tried cocaine once or twice in my lifetime, but you feel very empowered. You feel like Superman. So I would imagine you have to learn how to exist in a world where you don't have that boosting your ego. You know what I mean? So you're still going to have to go through all those challenges, I think. Michelle, uh, you know, we'll like go get Joe. He lost, forgot his keys again. I gotta go let my son in. I'll be right back, Michelle. Yeah, you might want to lower your mic for a second too, because you are too much Okay. So, now, is the treatment the same, by the way, ladies, with cocaine as it is for the um, heroin and the opioid addiction? Is it the same type of treatment? Yeah, I mean, I think, well, and that's, and that's part of the problem, maybe at least to talk about, you know, really, the only kind of treatment we've had for a long time is 12 steps, right? Like, you go, you, you go to, like, the, the, the general thing was you go to rehab for 30 days and you learn about 12 steps. You know, and then you go to your meetings. Like they made this cookie cutter platform, and I think it made sense, especially AA. You know, because when AA was built, it was a bunch of you know stockbrokers that were drinking all the time, right? I think that that model could make sense because they were drinking for different reasons. Um, right. I am seeing more now with rehabs opening up other avenues, like realizing dual diagnosis. You probably have a mental illness on top of being a drug addict. You probably need to treat both, um, or you know, trauma-based rehabs where a lot of people that are using drugs have had some major trauma in their life. They need to learn how to deal with PTSD. And you know what I mean? Like, so we are seeing rehabs starting to try to break the mold of what we thought traditional rehabs were. But a lot of it does come down to dollars and cents and what insurances will pay for. But yes, I think the treatments that we currently have in this country are very similar no matter what drug you're on and I think that's probably the wrong way to look at things I think we do need to look at it more so as you know like my son is bipolar you know he was probably using the drugs to mask a lot of the mental illness he was dealing with that we weren't aware of you know what I mean that's probably where it rooted he was self-medicating you know what I mean like we have to deal with those root problems um I know that there's other people I'm sure Lisa's talked to some were like you know they were they had a vicious childhood they were molested they were raped they were beaten you know, theirs comes from a place of PTSD and coping mechanisms do you know what I mean so right. that is really what we have to get to the root of is what kicked this off to begin with most people I don't know if I've met any yet that just 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 doing it for the hell of it for fun and just became just became addicts do you know what I mean like they they were trying to 
cover something or in, enhance something, at least from my experience. They, they Lisa, what's that. your experience? They have a hole within themselves, and they try to fill right. that. And they try to numb that pain, you know, and then it becomes, of course, an addiction, and then it changes the brain chemistry, and they do things they normally wouldn't do. But it right. all comes down to something. There's a reason behind every. And then you have doctors. You have the corrupted doctors. And you can Google this. You can Google um, doctors being arrested. You can Google big farmers being sued. And interesting enough, uh, big farmers are supposed to make more money now from the epidemic. I mean, from the virus, the pandemic. Isn't it interesting where money comes in again, right? Well, you know, it, well, yeah, and you know, Lisa, I mean, we both know, I mean, Purdue filed bankruptcy to hide from all the lawsuits. I mean, I'm working with the lawyers now that are trying to get people to file claims against that bankruptcy because they were the biggest promoters. The Sacklers were the – they devastated this country, and they made billions off of our loved ones. You know, I, I think a good thing for your listeners to check out is probably The Pharmacist um, is a new documentary on Netflix, and that will clue you into a lot of what yeah. happened and how Big Pharma kicked off and – and it's done in such a way that it's very personal story and journey. I think it resonates with a lot of people. I suggest checking it out. Hey, don't take after surgery, you know. It's such a high yeah. Do not take opiates after surgery. And the other thing I want people to Google is um, police officers. See, we need to be team circle, and we need those police officers in our circle. And if we have police officers out there that are getting in trouble because of their financials or showing that they own five homes, on their income, which I think the Attorney General should start digging into every officer's uh, income behind it, because I've seen cases now where police officers are taking free prostitutes from the drug dealer, and they're taking a cut of drug money to turn their head. We have a problem in America. When you see a little town go to crap, you have to wonder, where's the authority? And it took some things and some people to bring some things to me that told me about the dirty cops. So my, my point to sharing this, you know, we don't, all, all, we don't have all bad cops. We don't have all bad doctors. I mean, we have good and we have bad. But, you know, we need team circle, Melissa. You know that. We need people to come into our circle and say, hey, we want to make a change. We're up against police officers. We're up against dirty doctors. Come on. Something has to be changed. The only way you can handle dirty police is you take it to attorney general and you tell them to dig into their financials. And then once they dig, they're probably going to find many police officers that have five homes that they shouldn't be able to afford. You know, so you want to really bring your hand in the mess? Bring it down hard. And that's where I'm at. Bring it down hard. And if, the, if they want to clean up towns too, arrest the drug dealer that's standing outside the N.A. meeting. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. They're trying to resolve and become even a better person and working hard to recover. They, no way should a drug dealer be in front of that N.A. meeting. That ain't right. Mm-hmm. That ain't right, Melissa. That breaks my heart. You see it's, what I'm saying? It, it's, it, it's such a, you know, it, it, it was strange when, when my mm-hmm. best friend died. Um I got her stuff out of pawn or computer, you know, I want to, you know, and I was, a, I was able to read, like, what she had been doing those last couple of weeks, you know, what was consuming her life. You know, I got to see a side, you know, I never got street drugs when I had my addiction. Mine was all through a legal drug dealer. Mine was all through a doctor. Um, but it was just amazing. Like, like you're saying, it's amazing. Like how many people were interwoven into this drug world that I never realized. That's 
right. Um, yeah. It is. I mean, but and again, but I work with some phenomenal. I mean, there's a program in Chesterfield County where the sheriff has turned his his jail into a rehab. It's a it's called the Heart Program. It's phenomenal. I mean, he's Aww. saving lives. Very few people are going back to drugs. I mean, there are wonderful Aww. people fighting the good fight. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, it's a you know he did this he did he made this whole program just on the commissary money, just on the the snacks and stuff they sold the guys in jail. That's how he he took wow. all that money and turned it turned it into this full on program. And and they. They help these people even 90 days past when they get out of jail. Like, I mean, it's, it's amazing Aww. to me. So there's certainly people doing that, you know, fighting the good fight for sure. Thank God. Like I said, you have good cops, you have bad cops, you have good yeah. doctors, doctors. <laughs> you know, you have people in this. I mean, there some people I've seen, and Melissa, I'm sure you'll agree with me, brokers. That angers me. You want to explain Body that? brokers are disgusting. Okay. What? Yeah, about the brokers. The, the, so a body broker is in the rehab world. So basically they do a few things. One, they'll tell someone they're, they're going to fly them out and get them into rehab and they'll put them in a hotel and they'll just run their Medicaid through and they never see rehab. And they'll give them, you know, there's another type of broker that just gives someone a thousand dollars to get a detox. And as soon as they get out, they run them right back through again because they're making money off their insurance. And some of them prostitute the girls and it, it's just, it's called body brokering. They're basically just running their Medicaid and insurance through and really not getting these people treatment and they're getting kickbacks for it. Uh-huh. And it's only illegal in it's only illegal in two states. It's only illegal in California and, and Florida. And we need so to the rest out. of the country needs to catch up with those laws. The rest of the country, you know, and and this was a big problem. It started in Florida. It was a big issue because Florida had a lot of pill mills back in the day where you paid cash and you got your dilaudid. You know, right in in the hype of getting pills. Um, that's how it became illegal there very quickly. But we're starting to see it, you know, all over the country now. Um, you know, people being promised help and then they're left under a bridge and given a couple hundred bucks, but, you know, they've used their insurance. Yeah, it, it, it's gross. It's disgusting. Wow. Hey, we, we need people that are going to be a solution to the problem. Yep. You see what I'm saying? But it's like when you jump over the other side and you're looking at these people that don't want to help, that they're making the problem worse, it really causes a lot of anger and, and discouragement, you know. Because here, me and you, Melissa, and other people over here trying to make a difference, and then you even got police officers on the other side that aren't making a difference. <laughs> and you got body brokers and bad doctors, and I mean, this is a real battle. But to me, it's a spiritual battle. More, I look at it more of a spiritual battle. Um, but you know, but do you agree with me? I mean, this is a really deep. Well, I mean, the bottom line is this is a pandemic as well, right? This pandemic's been going on. It crosses many cultures. It crosses many – it's worldwide. Like, this isn't just something that's isolated in the United States. So it is It is. It is clearly classified a pandemic. And it spills out to what you would call, in quote, the innocence, right? Little kids are getting hooked on drugs because their parents are pregnant. Little kids are picking up drugs off the table and overdosing and dropping dead, right? So it's it, it, like any epidemic or pandemic, it spills out to the whole community, and that's what this, this is doing. Um, and I think that – Unfortunately, it's still, I, I think it's still a very grassroots movement. It's because of people like me that decided, you know, to give up my job and, and do this for free for 12 hours a day that we're making any kind of inroads. I mean, I'm talking hundreds of groups doing that, but as far as a huge national, international presence, there's no multi-million dollar organizations pushing these agendas through. It's people like Lisa, me, Ryan Hampton. I mean, you know what I mean? Like that's, and that's, right. that's tough. It, it's very difficult to yeah, make change. Sober-minded mm-hmm. ministry. They're out there feeding the homeless, and they're they're praying, and I think that's amazing what Sean does. 
um, what you do, whatever, but, you know, everybody in that team circle. But, again, I'm going to be repetitive here. The epidemic, the government makes money. The pandemic, they they're losing money. Now you see the difference, Melissa? Oh, I agree. I mean, big pharma, let's face it, big pharma has big lobbyists. That's why we're having a hard time getting laws pushed through and, and, and packages and getting the president to, to, to you know, the president, and I'm not, I'm not going to get into politics, who you like. I don't want to get into that. I'm just calling the president as his chair, as that person that sits there. I mean, he made an opioid commission. They gave him a report. They told him exactly what needed to be done, and very little of it was, was done. Um, and yeah. I'm not knocking him. The president before didn't do anything. You know, it, it doesn't matter, Democrat, it doesn't matter. But the bottom line is they shy away from it, I think, because drugs are involved, because they, because so many people still think it's a choice. Mentally, they can't get their head around, why should I help someone that's not helping themselves? That's what they think. But the, but it's so illogical because you're asking a mentally ill person to be able to make rational decisions for themselves. And yeah. how can you do that? Because when you're well, using drugs, you are mentally incapacitated. I would, if, if you're using drugs, I wouldn't let you testify in court. If you're using drugs, you couldn't sign a legal document. Why should I think that you can make an educated decision about doing it or not doing it, quitting or still, you know, it doesn't make sense to me. It's that simple. Agree. The question of the day day would be what will work? And I I think from my opinion, I think what would work would be long-term treatment. Knock out this garbage of two weeks treatment. Bring long-term care in. Bring the right treatment. And I think that would help solve a lot. Agreed. What about for you? What do you think, Melissa? I absolutely think that, you know, we need – and I think it needs to be step-down treatment, right? Like, so you keep earning more privileges and more freedoms as you go through. Like, you know, it, it goes through a transition as your body heals. You learn how to integrate back in society. I think that's crucial. I think educating very young is crucial, and not just those children, but the families of children. Um, I think those are crucial items. I think that we need to – such as what we were talking about earlier, you know, like someone that's on methadone, I don't think we should be so quick to rush them to get off of it. I think that there can be, there's some people that may need long-term medical um, assistance for those things. I mean, I think those are things that have to be crucial. I think we need expanded Medicaid to pay for a lot of this. So it's definitely a complex problem, but it does start with longer term treatment. 30 days is ridiculous. It's, it's not enough. It's not even close to enough. I read that if you can stay sober a year, your chance of success increases like 50 to 60% of not relapsing. Exactly. Wow. So we need to give them at least a year. Right, right, exactly. Give them that chance. And because right now, what's like a Russian roulette with five bullets in, in the chamber and one empty, right? Like if you're relapsed, like my girlfriend, she didn't use drugs for six years. She relapsed and she died. Like there is no coming back. This, these drugs are so potent out there. You probably, you, you're lucky if you get a second chance. Right. You're very lucky. We got 14 minutes left of the show. Literally, okay. it's been two hours. So I want to, again, <laughs> uh, I know, I can't believe it. It's just flying by here. I also want you guys, again, before we run out of time and get into another Another topic of this, um, let everybody know how they can get a hold of each of you, please, in case they need help or assistance or guidance or My email is parents at writeme.com. Okay, and for and for faces of opioids, so you can email me at info, I-N-F-O, at faces of opioids.org. 
or our website is facesofopioids.org. Um, or you can go to our Facebook group, which is Faces of Opioids. You'll find us. Okay, and Susan, I have a question for you, hon. Yeah. Um, now, Melissa, I did post in your room. Um, I did ask parents. Now, this is a spiritual avenue here. I'm mm-hmm. meeting a lot of parents that never had paranormal activity until their child passed away. Melissa, yeah. this is real. Parents have come to me and said, Lisa, I never experienced paranormal activity until my child passed away, and I'm seeing a black shadow man. And I said, well, yep. you don't want to fear it. And then another parent came to me and said, she's enduring that. And I said, well, you don't want to fear it. That's the only thing I could tell them is don't fear it. I am really curious to grab a better understanding why the parents that are losing a child to the drug epidemic are experiences, experiencing this black shadow man. And, and I really hope, Susan, you will have a show on this aspect of it because I'm telling you, a lot of parents are suffering and they're scared, and, and they want to know why. I mean, I had one parent that she felt her son came to visit her, of course, which I feel that it's probable. Um, the Bible talks about spiritual things, and it says test the spirits to see if they're of God or evil. So I do believe in the spiritual aspect of this. But I had one parent say she was watching a movie, and her pots and pans flew off her counter. And I said, well, don't fear. And she says, well, I don't fear, but then other parents do. So, Melissa, right. I guess, Susan, if you're willing to bring the parents on, I think that would be great. Um, you no, know, I so have they- no issue with that. Um, as far as spiritual activity, I've I've had it on both ends. Michelle and I are paranormal investigators as well. Um, yeah. I have a I am a reverend as well myself. So, um, we my father. Um, easiest way to explain something like that. When my father's around, you I smell a certain uh, I smell old spice. And if uh, mm-hmm. back when my alive when he was doing something wrong he throws something off the shelf at him that's just who he was because that's who my dad was so but when my husband's around and he's trying to get our attention over something he pushes things around the house too so to us this is just it's normally it's normal it's normal the way that um individuals will try to get their your attention i mean we have a resident ghost we moved in here and we actually have a ghost that's here that likes to play with the dogs and drive them up. So to us it's just common normalcy for somebody like us. But yeah, I'd love to have a show about that. But it makes total parents um the parents love their children. I mean they can be for the parents they can be the voice they need to be. They can also talk with you about the paranormal at the same time again. Um, Well, I think it's a win-win. I'm sorry? No, go ahead. You guys were both talking at the same time again. I I think it's a win-win because we have parents that come on. They could be the voice of their child, and then they can also have this issue addressed. You see what I'm saying? Because, you know, I want them to be the voice of their child. That's my advice to all parents. Be the voice you need to be. Do not give up. Do not take your life. You know, get up, get dressed, voice out, repeat, 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 repeat. I think it would be healthy for them if you had a show that they can call and say, hey, my son passed, and this is what I'm experiencing. And, you know, and I think it's a movement of healing. You see what I'm saying? And, and yeah. I think it's, it's a very positive move. Um, 
you know, helpful and whatnot. But now, Melissa, did you deal with anything paranormal? Has there been anything that you've experienced? Well, for me, I, I, I had... So there's a psychic that has a message for me, but I haven't gotten it yet. I've been chickening out for two months because I don't know what it is. So, um, <laughs> so I probably need to get the message eventually, but I'm like, uh, I don't know. But um, I haven't had one with Heather. Um, I just started dreaming about her. She died in 2017. I guess my grief needed to lift. But with my grandmother, um, I had a butter butterfly a lot. Do you know what I mean? Like at times I've seen like a yellow butterfly. So I, I think that there might be some tie to my grandmother that way. Um, yeah. Yeah. But, but as far as like, yeah. And, and this psychic, I mean, everyone knows this person's pretty renowned and everyone said she's phenomenal, but she's like, I have a message. I'm like, cause I, you know, both my loved ones that I've lost, I mean, I've been very fortunate. My grandparents lived till I was in my forties. I've been very lucky, but, um, I felt like I left on a good note with both of them. I'm like, what do they want? I don't know why I won't get the message, but I probably need to eventually. So we'll see. Um, and maybe my grandmother tell me what I'm doing wrong with her meatballs. It could be something that simple. We'll see. But uh, I don't know. You know, the after because it helps. It becomes a part of like helping them kind of pass on and move on. Um, because you think of the traumatic way that they pass on, it makes sense to see the shadow spirit. Totally. Got it. It does make sense. Totally. Because it's, it's a sudden yeah, death. Yeah, it's just, yeah, it's just been a weird, yeah. Um, yeah but I, I will say in my, I will say in my group, though, in all fairness, I, I think, because I've, I've talked to, God, hundreds of grieving parents, and they have certainly, losing a child has turned, whether they're more perceptive or they're feeling more, whatever those things are, I've, I've heard so many experiences that just blow you away. Um, I, that, mean, I guess are paranormal. In the yeah. too. I mean, wow. there are scriptures about the spiritual world. So it's not like, you know, a lot of Christians will say, oh, that's evil. No, if they know their Bible, it's an Acts, and it's all throughout the scriptures that, you know, even even in one scripture it says test the spirits. Test the spirits. Yeah, it could be demon. It could be loved one. But, you know, you right. you have to test that spirit. And that's one of the things that uh, Chris Hammond, he's a paranormal investigator, and Melissa Leeper, she's also very educated in this field. So it's it's almost like, um, you know, once you determine what's messing with that family, if it's a loved one, you know, then you can address it a certain way. If it's demonic, then you address it a certain way. There, there's right. always a what I'm saying is there's always a solution. But, you know, there's Christians out there that say, oh, my gosh, that's all demons. No, it's not. Because I've had parents come to me and say, well, my toaster moved. Um, okay, well, it, you didn't get hurt, right? You're not scratched. It's not a demonic, you know. People that suffer through demonic activity typically get hurt. You see what I'm saying? They have this feeling within them that they're so fearful. That doesn't come with regular spirit. That comes with a demonic spirit. What do you think, Susan? What do you, do you agree? I, I think everything is different as far as, like, case-to-case type um, situation because you can you have to remember the way the person is in life is how they were in death. So if right. they were a violent individual in life, they would be a violent individual in death. So it's literally case by case. 
um, and it depends on situations. So it would be really difficult to pinpoint it because I, I take, um, Michelle and I take every case as individual. We, we, start, up, we start off with a, a fresh perspective for all of them. Mm-hmm. So it's really hard to say one way or the other, but if it's this, right. it's one thing, if it's that, it's another. It's just that we, we choose to look at things, you know, individual. Right. You know, I just don't understand, like, you think most Christians would be paranormal investigators. Mm-hmm. Right. They, they I, I don't know, I'm just so frustrated with the Christian perspective. You know, they're, they're and, and, you know, and I love the Lord, don't get me wrong, I, I was saved and baptized. But you have these people out there. They're the most judging people. Oh, he's an addict. Oh, stay away from that. What the, are you talking about? When you want to help somebody and you love the Lord and you want to love on others, you don't judge people. And I found, and I'm not kidding you, Susan and Melissa and everybody, I have found that Christians are the most judging. <laughs> and I'm sitting back some and ways. Like, really? But what you. we need to worry about is, be, be wary of the people who are judging the people that are judging the people that are judging. Well, yeah, see, we, 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 don't, we, don't, we don't judge, and this network is all positive all the time. As Amen. far as what everybody's beliefs are, we allow everybody to believe what they want. I mean, if you believe that the tree, or worship the tree, go right ahead, we, we don't care. As long as you right. are positive and helping your fellow man, your fellow individual, that is the way that it should be. I mean, it should be positive and think positive and try to stay positive. Because if you stay positive, you, you've got half the battle right there. You have yeah. to look at that. We've got about three minutes left of the show here. Three minutes. And tonight's wow, show. Wow, we did it. No hope. <laughs> so I'm proud of you. And I'm proud of you. You really dug deep tonight, Susan, and you brought something out that you needed to bring out. Yeah, it's wonderful. I'm proud of you, girlfriend. I did it. I did it. So this website on the back of the book, is that the website to purchase the book, Uh, wordassociate.com? Yes. Okay. So, guys, if you want to purchase a copy of this, um, it's really going to help everybody. It's called Dope with No Hope. It's the heroin epidemic. Go to www.wordassociation.com is where you want to go. The book was written by Lisa, um, oh, my God, Ilinski and Justin Dresch. So you definitely The number they can call to order is 724-226-1255. And the reason why I titled it Dope With No Hope is my friend called me. And her daughter, are you ready for this? Her daughter was arrested for, she was, a, you know, suffering with a heroin addiction. She kidnapped a nun. Whoa. Okay. She got sentenced 20 years in prison. She's in Muncie Prison, 20-year sentence for an adult kidnapping. Okay. She said to her mom, she said, tell Lisa that there is no hope with dope. There's that that dope. There's no hope, and I, and I thought, well, okay. I mean, think about it. I work the side of being an advocate for parents that lost a child. Where's the hope in a funeral? I see pe- people going to prison and they're sentenced for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years over drugs. 
because of their addiction. Where's the hope in that? So understand my title, even though there is hope, I think there's hope in God, but there's just no hope in that. Does that make sense? No, there isn't. All right. I want to thank you, too, so much um, for, doing this, uh, for doing this show and for bringing this to our attention. I hope that we were able to spread the word with everybody else. Thank you so much for being our guest tonight. Thank Guys. you, Lisa. Thank you, Melissa. Yeah. Very much nice meeting you both. And don't forget, tomorrow night we have chakras. But I think we're going to do half chakras and do 60 seconds left to the show. I want to say peace out to you guys. Love you guys. And we'll see you tomorrow night at. Thanks for tuning in to Awakening the Unknown with Susan Swanbeck and Michelle Sullivan here on the ATU Network. For more information on upcoming shows and appearances, be sure to follow us on Facebook and on the web at awakeningtheunknown.wixsite.com. Voiceover work done by Cody Ray Despian. And we're out. We're out. Now I can turn the...